The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the Pharisees, There was a rich man who dressed in purple garments and fine linen and dined sumptuously each day. And lying at his door was a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who would gladly have eaten his fill of the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. Dogs even used to come and lick his sores. When the poor man died, he was carried away by angels to the bosom of Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And from the netherworld, where he was in torment, he raised his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am suffering torment in these flames. Abraham replied, My child, remember that you received what was good during your lifetime, while Lazarus likewise received what was bad. But now he is comforted here, whereas you are tormented. Moreover, between us and you a great chasm is established to prevent anyone from crossing who might wish to go from our side to yours or from your side to ours. He said, Then I beg you, Father, Send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he might warn them, lest they too come to this place of torment. But Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He said, Oh no, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Then Abraham said, If they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. may be seated. So last week, as we had the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of generosity, This story of the rich man and Lazarus could be seen as the antithesis of that story. There is no help to be had from people in this world for the poor man. Now, it's very likely the rich man, Jesus is trying to make this connection with the Pharisees that he's talking to. In fact, just uh, five verses prior to this, he calls the Pharisees these lovers of money. And the rich man has money beyond all compare. The rich man wears whatever he wants. He can have the finest of all clothes. He dines sumptuously each night. He's able to eat out and have others do his cooking for him. He is not a care in the world. We have to realize how strangely abnormal this would be in in ancient times. Now, the poor man could not be more different than the rich man. He desires nothing more than the crumbs from the table of the wealthy man. And he doesn't get those. In fact, the dogs, who would have been the ones who ate the crumbs from the table, then come and lick his sores that are covering his body. And he doesn't even have the strength to fend them off. Now the good Samaritan, there was the priest and Levite who walk on by, and there was a, a good reason for them to walk on by, both a physical and a spiritual well-being of taking care of themselves that kept them from from caring for this man beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. But the rich man, I don't think he's objectively evil. It's not that he sees someone in need and says, oh, I'm not going to help them. I think he's simply too busy 
to even notice. He's too busy spending his resources. He's too busy allocating his wealth to things he enjoys that he doesn't even realize this man is in such need. Yet both the rich man and the poor man suffer the same exact fate and the same exact fate that each and every one of us will suffer. They die. But the irony is that Lazarus, who had nothing to fill his stomach, is now feasting in the bosom of Abraham at the eternal feast, while the rich man, who did nothing but eat all of his days, is now experiencing the torments of hell. And so the rich man makes a plea to Abraham. He sees Lazarus and he says, Have Lazarus dip his finger in the water and put it on my tongue that it may be cooled from the torment I'm suffering in these flames. What's fascinating about that plea is that in no, no mean is he repenting. He sees Lazarus once again and he sees Lazarus as a tool for use. How can he benefit me? His mindset still hasn't changed. And Abraham says this, this fascinating thing. He says, you received what was good in your life. All the goods of this world, you had them all and you enjoyed them. And Lazarus, likewise, what was bad. Now, I find that last statement fascinating because he doesn't say, Lazarus received good things hidden under the bad things of the world and you just had to have eyes to see it. He says, no, Lazarus experienced suffering and torment and pain and death. He experienced the, the worst that humanity had to offer. He experienced the bad. But now, he receives eternal riches. Life is tragic. Lazarus' life was the most tragic of all. But those were only temporary, temporary sufferings compared to the eternal riches and glory that he now received. And so the rich man tries again. For the first time in this whole parable, he starts to think about somebody else. And he says, well, if you won't do that for me, then send someone, send Lazarus, so that my brothers know. And so that my brothers can stay away from this place of torment. And Abraham says to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to Moses and the prophets. And the rich man says, that's not enough. But if someone raises from the dead and goes to them, then they'll believe. Then it'll be enough. Then they'll repent. And Abraham says, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead. People had already risen from the dead in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees Jesus is talking to know their scriptures. There's the widow of, of Zarephath whose son is raised back to life by Elijah the prophet. And then there's this Shumanite woman whose son is raised back to life from Elisha the prophet. And then there was a man who was thrown into Elisha's tomb and comes back to life. And then just a few chapters earlier in Luke 7, you have Jesus who sees this funeral procession coming for the widow of Nain's son and he stops it. You, you ever see a funeral procession going through town? What are you supposed to do? Right? You pull over to the side of the road to show honor and respect to the deceased and to their family. And here, Jesus stops the procession. He gets in the... Could you imagine a funeral procession going down the road and a car cuts him off? 
Could you imagine that? That's what Jesus does. And then he proceeds to walk up to this boy and bring him back to life. The Pharisees had doubtless heard of this miracle. But this line, if they're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen or be persuaded if someone should rise from the dead, is ultimately about Jesus. And he's trying to tell the Pharisees, you know the scriptures. You know what Moses and the prophets say. They speak about me, and you need to see that. But these Pharisees are the ones who, when Jesus rises back from the dead, they don't praise God. Because they still don't believe. It's not about him rising from the dead. They don't praise God. In fact, they pay off the guards to tell everybody else that the disciples stole the body. If listening to Moses and the prophets isn't enough, nothing will be. And it's not just about hearing the words, letting it go into one ear. It's actually listening and seeing what they had to say, allowing the Spirit to open us up to those words. Because they would hear the the words of Moses and prophets in the synagogue, just as we hear it even in worship this morning, as we heard from the prophet Amos today. But will will we truly listen? Not just hear words, but but Listen. And believe. The famous atheist Richard Dawkins once said, if God is real, why doesn't he show himself? And I think that's a fair question to ask. But the answer is, he did. 2,000 years ago, he came in the flesh. Jesus made these claims of his divinity. He did come. But even if he raises from the dead, if we don't believe God's word, we'll make all these excuses for what happened. Do we believe and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And does that event change our lives? Fundamentally change the way we see the world. How we view ourselves. How we view others. Jesus is asking the Pharisees, and he's asking us today to listen because the, Mo- the words of Moses and the prophets testify about him. Sometimes we can be so deaf. We ask God, show me a sign. Show me. Prove to me you're real. Do this for me. Do that for me. And we're missing the greatest sign of all, that God rose from the dead for our sake. On the road to Emmaus, it says that Jesus was talking to these two disciples, and he opened their minds to everything Moses and the prophets said, that it was all pointing to his resurrection, so that the disciples' eyes were then opened as Jesus shared with them a foretaste of the feast to come. The very meal now he invites us into. That there is food coming, food plenty, this feasting. But it's not what we put our hope in, is the feasting of this world. It's the feast that God invites us into. Are we persuaded by the resurrection? Are we persuaded by the resurrection? Or are we more persuaded by the things of this world. I mean, what, what controls you? What motivates you? What, what leads you to make the decisions you make? We see it in the rich man. It was his wealth that motivated him and all the things his wealth could buy. But we fool ourselves if we think that the rich man's sin was his wealth. It wasn't his wealth. It was how he used it and how he viewed it. St. Paul says in his letter to Timothy 
Not that the rich people are evil, but the rich people must not be haughty. They must not become filled with pride and self-reliance. But that they must live as if God is number one. They must be generous and share and open. The rich man lived as if he was God. All glory and honor and praise was for him. We are called not to set our hope on things of this world, but on God. For riches have failed us. We all know that. Riches have failed us. And we're a generally rich society. Anyone who makes over $33,000 a year is in the top 1% of income earners globally. And I know there's even variations to this, but I recently, I, I was listening to this mission work that's being done overseas, and the whole idea was just giving some rice. And this person said, if I have food to eat a meal, I have something to give. Because they saw it all as gift from God. How quick have riches been taken away from us? Our youth group once did some mission work down at Faith Mission downtown in Elkhart. And we met a man who was a millionaire and lost it all and was now homeless. We hear the stories of superstars and athletes and, and lottery winners and they go broke and we say to ourselves, that would never happen to me. What a fool. Really? They got caught up in it all. They got caught up in the game. There was a, there was a woman who, who lost tens of thousands of dollars in an investment. And she said after she lost tens of thousands of dollars in an investment, listen to this, she was relieved. How many of you would be relieved if you lost 20 or 30 grand? You know why she was relieved? She realized she was hounding this money and trying to make it grow exponentially. And she realized how fragile it all is and that it's ultimately not hers, it's from God. Set your hope on God, Paul says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. It's only when we put our hope in God that we realize how generous he's been to us already. We realize how much we have already. Just look at the people sitting next to you right now. Gifts from God. This, this family of faith has been a gift of God to me and my family. A place where we've been loved and cared for and welcomed. And I've seen that we've done that to so many others. But sometimes we fall into the trap of the rich man too where we simply don't see people. It's not that we're trying to be mean or vindictive. We, we just are so wrapped up in our own little world we don't see people. If last week in the Good Samaritan it was how do we see our neighbor, who is our neighbor, it's those made in the image of God, just everybody. If that was this idea of last week, see them as a, as a neighbor, this week the idea is make sure you open your eyes so you see them. You see them. Because God wants to share with them the very thing he wants to share with us and the very thing he shared with Lazarus. There's nothing quite like having friends come over for food, is there? Maybe a good bottle of wine to celebrate, maybe to mourn, to give thanks, to just get together. That's what God wants with us. He wants to share a meal with you and with me at this great feast 
And, and what, what gets me about this whole idea that even if someone would raise from the dead, you wouldn't believe. It's, it's this idea that Jesus doesn't just raise from the dead himself, but he wants to resurrect you. He doesn't leave us dead. He brings us back to life. And this is where we, if we're persuaded by the resurrection, then we have to see the world different. Because if you believe that God wants to resurrect you back to life, you need to look at the person right next to you and realize he wants to resurrect them too. And you got to look at your neighbor and realize that Jesus wants to resurrect them too. And you got to look at the world different. And it all comes first from hearing God's word and believing that we are his children and seeing his children. Sometimes I think we, we distract ourselves with all the, we have so many things to distract ourselves. We're like the, the kings of distraction. Sometimes I think we want to distract ourselves because we're afraid to open our eyes because we're afraid that what we see might scare us or make us uncomfortable or drive us away. We're afraid to open our eyes to the suffering of this world. Don't be afraid. We don't approach it with money saying, I can fix it with money. That's not what we do. We approach it with the hope we have in Jesus Christ. The promises that we've received. As Lazarus' life was tragic, so life sometimes is just tragic. But what we see in, in the redemption of Lazarus is that we cling to more than the tragedy that befalls us in this world or our ability financially to avoid it for a number of years. We cling to Jesus Christ. So we receive his gifts. We feast with him. Let's realize all we've been given and so selflessly give as he, the God of all the universe, became poor and impoverished so that we could receive the riches of his kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.